Hello. Welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights. Chapter 45. A Poisoned Fellowship. Sir Lancelot of the Lake strolled around the courtyard. He was growing stronger now that he was taking his recovery seriously. Sir Lavaine had kept him company during his convalescence and Lancelot enjoyed his company. He wasn't that surprised, therefore, to see Lavaine arrive just after breakfast. He was, though, very surprised to see Bors, Lionel, Hector and Gawain turn up with him. Lancelot almost jumped for joy. He didn't quite actually jump for joy, as this may have split his side again, but he jumped for joy inside. He was particularly delighted to see Gawain. The two men hugged. God bless you, said Gawain. Everything has turned out well because we have found you. How are you, my friend, and what is it that has caused you to rest here for so long? I was sorely wounded, replied Lancelot, by a blow from a mighty warrior. Next time I meet him, he will feel the sharp end of my blade. Gawain laughed loudly and beckoned over to Bors. Now, Sir Bors of Gorns, do you have something to say to your cousin? I wouldn't stand for that threat if I were in your shoes. Gawain almost collapsed with mirth, while Lionel turned his head away so that his brother wouldn't see him giggling. Bors stepped forward a bit sheepishly and admitted that he had struck the blow which had so wounded the great man. He burbled an apology, giving the quite reasonable excuse that Lancelot had been in disguise, so how could he have known? Hector also announced that he had fought with Lancelot and tried to hurt him, but that Lancelot had beaten him easily. Both knights begged for Lancelot's forgiveness, although it's hard to see what there was to forgive. Lancelot, by now laughing almost as loudly as his best mate, forgave them both. The four knights waited with Lancelot for a week, until his wound was healed. Meanwhile, King Arthur and his party were travelling back from North Wales. He and a large company of knights spent a couple of days at the castle of Torok, feasting, while the Queen made her way straight home. When they left the castle, though, they got lost. Fortunately, Sir Sagramore stumbled across another larger castle. He was told the lady of the castle would welcome a visit from King Arthur and his men. They would, he said, be well fed and entertained. Sagramore took the news back to his king and they all made their way to the castle. And a quite magnificent castle it proved to be. It was richly decorated with stunning, intricate tapestries. Inside the great trappings of great wealth were all around. The knights and their master were met by over a hundred knights and ladies and then were presented to the lady of the castle. This lady was someone we have come to know well as we have followed the story of King Arthur. It was his sister, Morgan Le Fay. The feast was utterly magnificent. It was almost as if the castle cooks had a month to prepare. Maybe they had. Maybe Morgan's magic was still strong and she had known what would happen. Maybe Arthur and his men hadn't got lost but had been led astray by powerful sorcery. Whatever the cause, all of the knights had their fill, listened to fine music and then were led to rooms to lodge for the night. King Arthur was given special treatment. Two young ladies with candles burning in golden candlesticks led him to a bedroom. It was the very same bedroom which Lancelot had stayed in when he was Morgan's prisoner many years before. The room was decorated with scenes telling the whole story of Lancelot's love for Guinevere. He had painted the scenes himself while he'd been held captive. King Arthur was too tired to realise what the pictures were representing. Morgan, wide awake in a nearby room, wondered whether she should explain the scenes to her brother. In the morning, she decided that she should. Morgan Le Fay entered King Arthur's room. She bowed down before him and offered her words. Sir, 
I have offered you my hospitality, and I love you as my brother. Please stay here another couple of nights. King Arthur agreed. Excellent, he said. I am glad to have my sister back in my life. You can be a companion to my wife, the Queen. I don't think so, sire, for I have grave deeds to tell you. King Arthur's heart dropped. He waited for the terrible news. Sir, since the day Lancelot of the Lake joined your court, he has been in love with your Queen. Worse than that, your Queen has been in love with him. When Galahot entered our kingdom, he made a pact with your most valiant knight. Together they conceived a plan, and Lancelot and Guinevere got together. They have been together ever since. Morgan gestured towards the incriminating paintings on the wall. He painted these himself. Gradually the truth dawned on poor King Arthur. The little things he had noticed and dismissed came back to him. He remembered Tristram's shield. He remembered little glances between his wife and his favourite knight. He remembered times when both had made excuses not to go to a tournament. Most of all, he remembered the words of his nephew. His heart broke and his blood ran cold. He muttered under his breath, Oh, Agravaine, why didn't I listen to you? I have dismissed the word of a loyal knight and taken to my heart a scoundrel. The king turned back to his sister. Even as he did so, the doubts crept in. Could it really be true? Surely there must be some mistake. After all, Morgan didn't have a history of lying to him and trying to kill him, did she? Well, yes, of course she did, and hence the doubts. Agravain told me about this the other day, he said, but I didn't believe him. What I see seems to show that it is true. I can never be satisfied until I know the truth. I will not rest until they are caught together, or I am convinced they are innocent. And if I find out they are guilty, then I will not wear a crown again until they are brought to justice. And the justice will be spoken of for evermore for its severity. It won't be long before they are caught, assured Morgan, if you go about it carefully. Arthur assured his sister he would find out the truth. He stayed with her for a week, and every day she badgered him to avenge the dishonour that Lancelot had heaped upon him. Every day he agreed he would, but there was still a small part of him that couldn't believe that his wife and his dearly loved friend were cheating on him. At the end of the week, he rode away thoughtfully back to Camelot. He prayed and prayed it wasn't true, and that all would be fine. The dearly loved friend, meanwhile, had recovered from his wounds and had been given a clean bill of health from the doctor at Astolat. He prepared to leave with Bors, Hector and Gawain. Sir Lavaine and his previously injured brother, Sir Tyre, were to accompany the knights back to the court of King Arthur, where, it was hoped, they would be able to join the Fellowship of the Round Table. Before they left, though, the maid of Astolat gave it one more go. "'You are leaving, my lord, and I doubt that you'll return.' I want you to know that I am on the way to death and only you can save me. As soon as I saw you, I knew I couldn't love anyone else. I loved you more than it is possible for a woman's heart to love a man. Since you rejected me, I have been unable to eat or drink. I have been tormented by my thoughts and suffered every pain and grief. To be honest, replied Lancelot a little callously, it was a bit mad to expect anything of me. I told you my heart was not my own. If I was free, then I'm sure I would be fortunate to have the love of someone like you. But I'm not free, and you know that I'm not. My lord, I'm sorry that you said that. My heart will soon be separated from its love by my death. With that, the maid of Astolat left and retired to bed. She never got up again, except to carry out her threat. Within a few days, she was dead. But more of that later.
the six knights left. Before too long, they arrived at Camelot. Certainly they arrived before King Arthur, who was still at Morgan's castle. Sir Gawain, as was his tradition, immediately went to see the Queen to let her know they had returned. Gawain was full of the joys of spring. His best friend was back, and he looked forward to everything getting back to normal. He had spoken at length with Lancelot as they cantered through the British countryside. Never had he felt the bond of friendship so strongly. Gawain knew in his heart the good times were back. When he went to see the Queen to tell her Lancelot was back, though, he was in for a bit of a surprise. At first she greeted him warmly, as she always did. Her face creased into a frown when she was given the news about Lancelot, and she told him she was too unwell to see anyone. Gawain knew she was lying, but he decided she was the Queen and her reasons were her own. He ambled back to the courtyard and informed the others that Guinevere was indisposed. Sir Bors was well used to the Queen's moods by now. That evening he went to see her. OK, he said scathingly, you know you're not ill and I know you're not ill. This mood of yours has something to do with Lancelot. What is it this time? It really is a great pity destiny saw fit to arrange a love between you and my cousin. He would sacrifice anything for you and you treat him without grace or tenderness. I have no wish to see that man, I have no wish to speak with him, and I will not enter the hall while he is there. What is it with you women? The great city of Troy was destroyed, along with the noble Hector and the great Achilles, all because of a woman. Samson, the strongest man in the world, was destroyed by a woman. The most honourable Sir Tristram died because of his love for the fair Isoude. You know that Lancelot is the best, the boldest, and the finest. He is full of virtue, but you strip his goodness away by the way you treat him. You're driving him away. You are removing the sun from among the stars by depriving King Arthur's court of its greatest knight. You are damaging this kingdom and putting its very future at risk. For a moment, Guinevere was moved. Then her expression hardened again and the self-pity crept back in. If that happened, then nobody would lose as much as me. Now leave me in peace. Exasperated, Bors turned away. Fair enough. You won't hear another word from me about this unless you bring it up. He left the room without a backward glance. Bors immediately went to see Lancelot and let him know the Queen was by no means happy with him. She was still mightily annoyed he had worn another woman's sleeve. He advised Lancelot to pretend to have urgent business elsewhere and leave. Lancelot announced to the small group that he had to go. In God's name, exclaimed Gawain, you can't go now, you must wait for our lord the king. But Lancelot wouldn't. Gawain told him he must be back for the tournament which was to take place in a few days. Lancelot told him he would, if at all possible, return. Gawain, nearly in tears at the thought that Lancelot was leaving so soon after returning, nodded his agreement and turned away. Lancelot, accompanied only by the wise Sir Bors, mounted his horse and rode out of Camelot. Now, Lancelot is known for a couple of things, apart from his general greatness and knightly prowess. He is known to have been unable to have a sensible thought when it came to Queen Guinevere, and he's known for going a bit potty when things didn't go well for him in that department. This time, though, he had the wisdom of his cousin to help him. As he began to wail and bemoan his fate, Bors put up a hand to stop him. Look, you know what she's like. Just go away for a few days. I bet you that it will be less than a month before the Queen comes to her senses. If you're away and there is no news, then she will pine for you just as you do for her. She will send someone to find you and all will be well. 
Just make sure you turn up at the tournament and don't do anything stupid in the meantime. Lancelot nodded and even permitted himself a brief smile. I'll be there, but I will be in disguise. I will be armed entirely in white. You will recognise me, but nobody else will. Sir Bors of Gorns and Sir Lancelot of the Lake prayed for each other and then parted. When King Arthur arrived back in Camelot, he was quite pleased to find that Lancelot wasn't there. Sir Gawain told him the great man was away on urgent business. King Arthur allowed himself to believe that meant Lancelot and Guinevere were innocent. Surely if there was anything going on, Lancelot wouldn't allow himself to be dragged away, particularly after he'd been away for so long on the Grail quest. His mind at rest, King Arthur slept more easily than he had done for a while. A few days later, the Queen and many of the knights were in London. She held a great feast for those present. The Queen's feasts were noted for their excellence and the whole party was in great spirits as they sat down to eat. Most of the greatest knights were there, 24 in all. All of the Orkney brothers were present, as were Lionel and Bors. Hector de Maris was also there, next to Palamedes and opposite Sir Kay. La Cote Mail Tail chatted to Sir Ironside and Sir Pinnell laughed and joked with Sir Mador and Sir Safer. Sir Gawain was especially pleased. King Arthur's favourite nephew had a love of fruit. This caused great merriment in the fellowship as meat was the staple diet of knights. Gawain always took the teasing well, laughing along with his taunters. The joke was on them, of course. Sir Gawain's fruit diet had given him great health. He was almost never ill. The great man was pleased because the Queen always looked after him at the feasts. She made sure he was well catered for. She always provided the finest apples and Gawain was looking forward to enjoying some. But he never got the chance. After the meat was served and eaten, the fruit came out. The apples looked especially splendid and succulent and Gawain waited his turn to take one eagerly. Before he could get to the fruit though, a knight called Sir Patrice, a cousin of Sir Mador, grabbed one from the tray and took a huge bite. He had only got halfway through the very delicious looking apple when he fell to the floor. Sir Lionel rushed over to the stricken knight and put his hand on the fallen man's neck. After a few seconds he looked up. This knight's dead and it looks like poison. It was perfectly clear to everyone that the apple had been tampered with and the toxic fruit had killed Sir Patrice. And who had supplied the fruit? Well, Queen Guinevere, of course. Sir Mador jumped up and, without really doing any detective work, made his accusation. You've killed my cousin, lady. I will be revenged upon you. Guinevere looked around for support. Not a single knight spoke up in her favour. Most looked down at their food and tried not to meet her eye. Even Sir Gawain could not bring himself to speak up for her. After all, it was well known that he liked the fruit. Maybe the apple of death had been meant for him. It seemed pretty clear to all those present that the Queen had supplied the apples and therefore the Queen had supplied the poison. Sir Mador, flushed with the importance of being the accuser, rushed to King Arthur. Sir, your Lady the Queen has killed a brave knight with a poisoned apple. I demand that she be put on trial for treason. King Arthur was in a spot of bother. He was pretty sure that Guinevere had not deliberately poisoned the knight. She appealed to him and he knew by the way she spoke she was telling the truth. On the other hand, the law demanded a trial. Now, as we know, a trial in the world of King Arthur was not a nice legal courtroom experience. A trial meant one knight against another, one fighting on behalf of the accused and another for the accuser. 
Unfortunately for Queen Guinevere, nobody would step forward to be her champion. Most of the greatest knights had been at the dinner, and they all thought she must be guilty. Most of the rest of the fellowship had no intention of putting their heads up above the parapet. One knight in particular knew the Queen was entirely innocent. So why, I hear you ask, did he not step forward and offer to be the Queen's champion? Well, it's perfectly simple. Sir Pinnell knew the Queen was innocent because he had planted the poisoned apple. The fruit of death had been meant for Gawain. Pinnell was a cousin of Sir Lamorak and was determined to have his revenge on King Arthur's nephew. His plan had gone horribly wrong because the wrong knight had died. Still, he had no intention of letting on. As far as he was concerned, the trial of the Queen was a handy diversion. It meant he had got away with it. King Arthur was appalled that none of his knights would defend his Queen. He announced that he would wait 40 days as the law allowed. On that day, Sir Mador would fight against the Queen's champion. If no champion arrived, then the Queen would be burned for her treason. Arthur and his wife sat sadly together that evening. Will nobody fight for me? asked the Queen sadly. Arthur shook his head. Where's Lancelot? he asked. Surely he would do battle for you. His cousins say he's gone away. I don't think he's even here in the kingdom. Then I will speak with his family, said Arthur decisively. Sir Bors of Gorns is the best of his kinsmen. You must go to him and demand he take up your cause. King Arthur didn't see the look of horror that crossed his wife's face. Of course, he wasn't to know that Queen Guinevere was not Sir Bors' favourite person. In fact, he probably disliked her more than any of the other knights, except maybe Sir Agravain. She knew she had no choice, though. Her husband had told her that Sir Bors was pretty much her only chance if Lancelot was absent. Guinevere plucked up the required courage and called for a messenger, who was then sent to summon Sir Bors. As she waited for him to arrive, she tried to believe that he would be her champion. Maybe he would do it for Lancelot. Maybe his love for his cousin would persuade him to take up arms and defend her. Guinevere hoped that this would be the case. After all, there was precious little chance of Sir Bors doing it out of love for her. Next time, we'll find out who, if anyone, fights for Queen Guinevere. In the meantime, if you're enjoying this, then please pop along down to www.mythandhistory2.podbean.com. If you like history podcasts in general, then go to www.historypodcasters.com where you'll find a directory of really great history podcasts. And while you're at that site, please do check out the great History Collage podcast series. So, until next time, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you then.